Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Slice of Healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. This is an interesting episode because we have a CRNA on Barry Miller. Uh, Barry Miller is the lead nurse anesthetist for Dr. Miami. Some of you may have heard of Dr. Miami, a very popular plastic surgeon that's been uh, in the industry for for quite some time. Uh, So Barry has a pretty substantial uh, following on Instagram, and and Dr. Miami is is crushing it as well. So we're very excited to have Barry on. So without further ado, let's bring Barry on. Hi, Barry. Yes, I'm here. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. Oh, glad to be here. How's your day going so far? Not bad. Can't complain. Got visitors uh, from Venezuela staying here. My uh, my wife's family's here. We took them out for breakfast, and we had an early breakfast, so I could be back and talk with you. Excellent. Now you're um, you're down near Miami area, right? Fort Lauderdale. Ye- yeah, I'm, I'm just outside of uh, Fort Lauderdale. Interesting. Nice. I, I actually have um, a family that have a place down in Davie, Florida. Oh, yeah. I grew up uh, just outside of Davie. Oh, nice. Yeah, they're uh, – well, they just have a condo. They're, they're snowbirds, but they're um, right across from that Nova Southeastern. Yep, yep. Um, it's, it's a nice area. They like yep. it. Yep. Great. Well, uh, let, yeah, let's get into some of these questions. I think it'd be a great way to start the conversation off with telling the audience a little bit about you, your background, okay. and uh, we can go from there. Okay. Well, um, of course, my name is Barry Miller. Uh, I am a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I'm also double certified as an advanced registered nurse practitioner, and I've got an MBA as well. Um I have been practicing nursing for, (laughs) I hate to say, about 30 some, about 30 years, Um, maybe even longer. Uh, And um, I've been a nurse anesthetist for 19 years. Um, And my current employer um, is someone of note. Um, by the name of Dr. Miami that some of your audience may know very well. Um, He is a huge social media presence. Um, In fact, um, I can't remember the name of the organization that kind of is like the um, Oscars for Snapchat, but um, he was the number two Snapchatter um, behind DJ Khaled in the world last year. And um, wow. that's pretty much how I got involved with social media was um, I am his you know, primary anesthetist and uh, for the last 12 years, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, um, when he blew up with social media, pretty much, you know, they said to me in, in the office, you know, you, you, you better start doing this stuff and kind of learning this because you don't want to get, you know, left behind understanding that pretty much, you know, like I'm, uh, I'm 56. I'm the oldest person in the entire building and probably was the farthest from being interested in social media at that time. Um, I really kind of thought, you know, like, what do I need social media for? You know, I I don't care if my friends know 
um, you know, if I'm in the bathroom or what I had for breakfast or whatever. And, um, and then I kind of saw its usefulness as it kind of grew on me. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm going off the beaten path of what you were looking to hear, but um, I am also, um, I'm married, uh, been married for about 10 years. I have a son who is eight years old and he is the center of my universe pretty much. Um, I, um, I'm a commercial pilot. Um, I flew professionally for a while. Um, used to fly pretty much everything up, including, and the largest aircraft I flew was a DC nine. I did most of my, um, uh, professional flying as a corporate pilot flying, um, Lear jets, Lear 25s and 35s and 36s. Um, I kind of think of myself a, a bit of a Renaissance kind of dude. Um, uh, you know, my younger days, I was uh, really into a lot of different stuff, scuba diving. Um, um, I went to culinary school, learned how to cook. Um, I just kind of, you know, dabbled in this and that. Interesting. Very interesting. What, what made you decide to become a CRNA? Well, you know, that's kind of a, one of these stories. It's, it's actually a kind of a cool story. When I was um, uh, 15 years old or 14, um, I was in, just finished school for that year. And it was the summertime. And my parents um, said to me, hey, you know, what, what do you want to do this summer? And I said, I, I really don't know. I don't, you know, I was kind of like one of those kids. And my mom said, well, you're not going to hang around the house and bother me. So she brought me over to the local hospital and um, said, you know, I know of a friend of mine, their um, child is volunteering for the summer. You're going to volunteer at the hospital. Now, it sounds kind of an odd thing. And it would be except for the fact that when I was a kid, um, I was born with a um, congenital heart defect, um, and I had my heart surgery when I was nine years old. So I was always in and out of hospitals, doctors' offices. Um, I was around healthcare a lot, and it, and for whatever reason, it didn't seem to scare me. It just kind of um, interested me. And it, you know, if you were to talk to my mom. She would tell you that, like, I wasn't the kind of kid that, you know, was fearful of getting an injection or blood draw. It kind of became almost second nature to me um, over a time. And um, so I, I kind of had that interest. So when my mom said, you're going to be a volunteer, I was like, hmm, it's not so bad. So I volunteered in a local hospital uh, that summer. And um, they sent me, uh, they weren't used to having male volunteers, you know, the candy stripers. Um, kind of thing. And so what they did was they sent me to the operating room um, and I was supposed to help push patients and uh, move boxes and things like that, whatever they could find for me to do. And um, I was standing outside an operating room, uh, peering through the window, looking, and I was just fascinated by what was going on. And after a while, um, the uh, anesthesia provider came over to the door, opened it up and said, young man, he 
says, you can't stand right here in the doorway all, all day long. So you can either leave and go do something else or you can come in and watch it with me. <laughs> so I was like, really? <laughs> so he helped me get out, you know, a mask on and booties and all that stuff. And I went in the operating room and he sat me down next to him and explained everything to me. Though I was, you know, a much older um, a person. And I was just amazed at everything that was going on, especially this guy, this role model. Well, he was a nurse anesthetist and he explained what that was. And, and I, from that moment on, from that summer, I pretty much knew that's what I wanted to do. And um, it's kind of a unique story. And I had like my, my life path set um, that early and, um, I followed it and, um, I took a few, um, you know, turns, um, but I kept my eye on the goal all the time and I ended up, um, uh, you know, accomplishing my, my major goal, which was to become a uh, nurse anesthetist. Very interesting. Wow. That's, um, that's a great story. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, I mean, you, I, I hear a lot of these types of stories, but that one definitely very unique. Uh, <laughs> definitely, I can tell how that can leave like a lasting impression and really get you interested in something. For sure, for sure. That's very interesting. And uh, the the um, you know I can't remember the guy's last name, but I do remember his first name was Jim. And by now he he would you know I'm sure he's not still alive, but uh, you know. Um, Boy, I wish I could have met him as an adult um, to to thank him, to shake his hand and thank him. And um, and he um, he gave me a nickname that stuck with me for years. I don't, it, you know, not anymore. But because I was very frenetic and had a lot of energy, um, he called me Skeeter, like a mosquito. Uh, it's a southern term for mosquito. He's a Skeeter. And, um, uh, I, I, <laughs> I was known as Skeeter for a very long time. <laughs> oh geez <laughs> yeah um, i i want to um i want to roll off of of you talking about why you decided to be a crna with talking about what a typical day looks like for you well um okay um i can you tell me what you prefer because my day now as a uh, anesthetist and a cosmetic surgeon's office is one day but if you want to paint the picture of what my day used to look like at uh, working in a large teaching hospital that's a completely different kind of day um so you you kind of tell me what what you think your audience would be more interested in hearing absolutely um why don't you give me a quick rundown about what your current day looks like right now and okay. then instead of going into the other, like what your day used to look like, maybe just tell me uh -huh. what are the major differences today? Okay. I guess we could do that. Sure. Um, we start pretty early. Um, my, my day is I, I'm going to kind of run it down on, on a timeline here. Um, I typically get up at about five o'clock in the morning um, so I can um, get out of my home. I, I live about an almost an hour drive from my office. So um, that's why I have to get up so early, but, um, I get up at five in the morning, get to the gym by six 
and I uh, work out at a um, local gym until about seven, take a shower, um, change into my scrubs and go to the office. And I'm in there by 7.20 in the morning. Um, when I arrive, <coughs> excuse me, when I arrive, I'll confirm what our OR schedule looks like, how, you know, the day is going to play out and kind of formulate a, a general plan for the day. Um, then immediately after that, um, uh, before I do anything else, I pretty much go and, um, see the patient and interview her. And I say her because, you know, some 90, probably 7%, 98% of our patients are female in cosmetic surgery. Um, so, um, I will do a, um, anesthesia and health assessment, um, with the patient, which is crucial for me to generate a, uh, a valid anesthesia plan. Um, I'll give the patient some preoperative medications at that time, and then I'll go into the operating room and do um, my safety checks, um, check my, uh, all my gases, make sure, of course, I have plenty of nitrous oxide, oxygen, and anesthesia gas. Um, um, I'll continue on doing a machine check, checking the anesthesia machine from top to bottom. Um, that goes without fail every single day. That's the first thing I do when I go in there. Um, and then I'll set everything up for that first patient based on the plan that I've um, promulgated. Uh, I'll draw up medications based on that um, plan. Um, I'll set up my IVs, my warmers, um, and get the room all prepped. At the same time, the OR staff is setting up the room for what they need. Um, and then we wait for the arrival of the surgeon. He goes and sees the patient, takes pictures, goes over any last minute questions. When he, he will then come back into the operating room and tell me it's okay to take her back. Um, I'll bring the patient back to the operating room, um, lay her down on the operating room table. That's generally when patients really start to get uh, very anxious. And so from the moment I bring them into the operating room, I try and, you know, not dilly dally. Um, I try and get everything going uh, quickly because most patients start freaking out the longer that they're awake on the operating room table. So once they lay down, I put on um, all of our um, monitors, blood pressure, heart monitor, a little probe that goes on their finger to measure the oxygen content in the blood. Um, I'll start an IV. And um, as soon as I start that IV, I give the patient some uh, medication like a sedative kind of thing to relax them so they're not freaking out. And um, I'll uh, let them breathe some oxygen for a minute or two before I drift them off to sleep. And then I drift them off to sleep with an injection through the IV, put a breathing tube um, into their windpipe, um, otherwise known as the trachea. And um, off we go to do the surgical case. Um, I'm continuously monitoring them and um, tweaking um, the anesthetics, oxygen flow, ventilator support, and um, things like that throughout the case. Um, because anesthesia is as much an art as it is a science. People are kind of surprised at that, but it's true. Um, it's probably 50-50, to be honest with you. And um, 
um, towards the end of the case, I'm lightening up the anesthetic, um, timing it such that, and that's the art part, that's part of the art, um, timing it such that the patient is at a very light anesthetic level at the end of the case. That way I can wake them up quickly because, you know, in any business, time is money. And um, once they're woken up and that breathing tube is taken out of their um, uh, trachea, um, we secure them, uh, bring them over to the recovery area where they will recover for about an hour. And then, um, then off they go. I work in concert with a, an RN in the recovery room um, and with the surgeon. Um, um, but I'm very blessed and lucky that the surgeon um, uh, gives me 100% control of anesthetic-related issues. So pretty much what I say goes um, in there. Now, <clears throat> to, con to contrast that kind of uh, thing with working in a big um, hospital, um, you, the biggest thing that I can point out is that you don't have that kind of autonomous practice in the hospital setting. Um, in the hospital, you've got anesthesiologists and other nurse anesthetists and um, anesthesia techs. And um, you may even have an anesthesia um, uh, assistant. Um, in the office, you know, I'm it. That's it. And there's nobody else. In the hospital, there's a whole team of people, um, which is good and bad. Um, it gives me the autonomy in the office that I want after being in practice for so many years. Um, but when you're in the hospital, um, you're doing much, you know, of a, a huge variety of case load. Uh, and depending on the kind of facility that you're working in, um, will de depend on, you know, you might have a, a gunshot wound trauma come in early in the morning. And then right after that, they, you, you may, you know, do um, a broken hip. And then after that, you might have to go do um, an epidural and labor and delivery for a woman that's in labor. So your experience in the hospital is, is very varied and is never the same in any one given day. But you have to answer to a lot of other um, uh, people. And um, the acuity of your patient load, um, by definition, a patient coming to the office is um, a healthy patient. Um, and um, we grade their health based on a grading scale. And they're at the, the top of that grading scale in terms of their health. Um, when you're in the hospital, not only you may not know if they're a trauma, you may not know anything about their health, um, but in general, they're much sicker patients. And in today's society and the way insurance and things like that is running, um, you know, um, you may have very, very sick patients that haven't had um, any kind of health care coverage for themselves in a long time. So that's, that's the biggest, I guess, contrast and comparison that, you know, I can make. No, that's great. That was a great break then. Thank you for sharing. Uh-huh. Uh, so I wanted to ask this question as well. How do you feel your experience in the military helped you in nursing? <laughs> Well, um, I was in the Air Force uh, as a reservist for 10 years, and um, um, I gave anesthesia I, um, in the Air Force. Um, 
I can tell you that there is no better place to gain experience than in the military, at least for anesthesia. Um, they are very progressive, very forward thinking. Um, they have the latest equipment and um, everybody in the military is super motivated because it's a volunteer service. So if you're there and you're a nurse anesthetist or you're, you're a physician, you're there because you want to be there, um, not because you're required to be there. And um, all the people that I met um, in, in the healthcare service in the Air Force were amazing people. They all wanted the best for our servicemen and they all work really hard to provide that. And I learned more about certain anesthetic techniques that I knew nothing about or very little about coming out of school. Um, basically, that's regional anesthesia. That basically is where you can um, um, you know, numb up a part of the body by knowing you know, anatomical structures uh, very well and using some um, uh, other assistive devices to deliver a local anesthetic, similar to like how your dentist numbs up your jaw. Well, I can do that all over the body. And I would not have had that experience um, at all if I had been just in the civilian world. So that made me a, a, a well-rounded, um, much better anesthetist and, you know, more educated, in, in fact, because you have to learn a lot more um, science and physiology and anatomy than you would have learned uh you know, without that experience. So I have nothing but positive things to say about being in, in any of the military services in healthcare. Yeah, I've heard of uh, a lot of people have said the exact same thing. They've echoed your thoughts on that. They felt that it really prepared them, um, especially for anesthesia, but I've heard other specialties as well that have done the same. True. Um, the, and, and if I may, I'll just, because this kind of like a little soapbox I, I get on because I love I loved my experience in the Air Force. Um, the, the reason that they're so aggressive with the regional anesthesia technique and being able to do that is because if you think back, um, if you think now, all of the, a lot of the injuries that are coming back from Afghanistan, IEDs, mines, and explosive things, and they get a lot of limb injury uh, and limb trauma. And so, if you're in a situation where it's a, you've had, you know, like a, a Humvee that got blew up, blown up and you've got three uh, badly injured um, servicemen in front of you, you don't have to pick just one of them, the sickest one and operate on him. You can operate and give anesthesia to all three. So I would put somebody, the sickest one at my 12 o'clock position then I could put somebody with a less um, severe injury at my nine o'clock and one at my three o'clock and give anesthesia <coughs> to all three people at the same time. Wow. Uh, in theory, um, I would, you know, do regional anesthesia on the guy at nine o'clock and regional anesthesia on the guy at three o'clock. And I would be, you know, monitoring them and dealing with them with the focus on my most sickest guy at the 12 o'clock position. Now, is that the best um, situation? Of course not. It should be just one-to-one, -one. but you're talking about war and you're talking about, you know, uh, everything but the best of situations. So, um, you know, in that situation, you're able to 
um, overcome the odds and deliver care to three people at the same time. Now, would you do that in the civilian world? Never. Um, it, it would, it, it's, you know, it's just not appropriate, but you, you, you know, I got trained um, to be able to do that should I need to. And um, no, um, when I was in service, um, there were no active wars. Uh, in fact, I was, um, I got discharged from the Air Force right after 9-11. Um, I was supposed to be discharged um, October uh, of, of uh, that year, but because of 9-11, I, uh, obviously, um, they put a stop loss and no military people were allowed out of the military for about two years. Wow. So, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, I wanted to ask this question because this is one I was very curious about as well. And I think there is value, but that's my opinion. But what do you think is the educational value of posting a Snapchat video in, in your line of work as well? Well, um, I don't know if you have seen my IG. Uh, I'm, I'm not on Snapchat. I'm on IG. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a better platform for me. Um, and, um, a little plug here, if anybody wants to follow me on IG, it's at Barry Miller, C-R-N-A, no spaces. Um, you know, first and foremost, I could say, you know, if, if you watch my, uh, Instagram yourself, if you've seen it, you know, that, um, I do a completely educational, um, Instagram. I mean, not completely because, but my work related stuff is educational in nature. And, um, for whatever reason, I really like to, to educate and teach and train. In fact, I'm a part of a diversity program in nurse anesthesia. And I have, um, um, people that want to become nurse anesthetists that come from, um, disadvantaged or less advantaged positions that come and will shadow me um, so they can see what's going on and, and I can do the same kind of thing that I'm doing now, um, informing them and enlightening them. But um, I have um, um, a, a cadre of um, about 7,000 followers, which isn't, you know, a lot, but um, they're all really, really engaged in what I put out there for content. And I put, um, I'll put, you know, healthcare related quizzes, uh, and I call them snap quizzes. Um, and then whoever wins, whoever gives me the answer first, I usually shout them out. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's kind of nice for them, I guess. And it's educational at the same time. I put up diagrams and explain, you know, current concepts of anesthesia. Um, I do um, my story on Instagram, which is, you know, more like Snapchat's uh, uh, video. And um, I um, will, on a daily basis, go through the whole induction uh, or the beginning of general anesthesia with them uh, from starting the IV and um, going to sleep. And I mean, they see everything I do, they see from my point of view. Um, with the help of um, uh, one of the PAs in our office, he's 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 awesome, uh, uh, and um, I 
I have a lot of people that are really, really interactive with me. And I love it when they, when they ask questions and they go back and forth or when, you know, sometimes on an occasion they'll argue with me. They may be, um, most of the people that follow me are student nurse anesthetists. I have a lot of nurse anesthetists as well that are certified nurse anesthetists. I have um, registered nurses that want to become anesthetists <coughs> and everybody is there because um, obviously because they want to be, but um, because I, I'm, ho I'm hoping um, that they get some educational value as to what I'm trying to share with them, uh, you know, coming from a healthcare perspective as long as mine has been. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I've watched a couple of your live um, Instagram. Uh, what's the, the videos that you have and they're, they're pretty, mm -hmm. they're pretty interesting and you do, you actually, you're, you're very engaging. Um, and everyone that's included in your videos is pretty, even, I think you've even had some patients in there that are actually like pretty um, just happy and happy to be a part of whatever it is you're doing with it. Um, oh yeah. And, and let me say this for your audience. Um, you know, we are uh, strictly abide by HIPAA regulations and um, our patients, um, you know, nobody's forced into being on, on um, either Dr. Miami Snapchat or my Instagram feeds and they have to give both verbal and written permission for us to do it. And in probably 99% of the case, um, you know, they want uh, to be anonymous and we protect their identity. Um, but uh, occasionally we have people that, you know, are, are like really cool and interactive and they say, no, it's, it's cool. You could show my face. And then when that happens, I really, really get into it with them and, you know, kind of I, I try and almost interview them a little bit on camera so that patients, other patients that follow and other people that follow can see what it's really like to be on that operating room table. It's it's kind of a, you know, a cool experience. Yeah, I mean, your, your videos are, are great. So we, we look you. forward to more of those. And um, I know you said the plug. I want to let you know, too, and the audience know I am going to put. Um, your social links in the show notes so oh, they'll be able you. to have those direct uh, linked right to you cool. um, and we'll also do some posts online that will tag you and direct back to you as well once everything goes live which would be great uh, I wanted to ask you one more thing sure and uh, that was what is your favorite procedure to perform uh, perform <laughs> you know, it's funny that you should say that. Um, my favorite procedures to perform are ones that I no longer do <laughs> wow. um, because they were very aggressive, very invasive things that can only be done at a very large teaching hospital that would allow an anesthetist to do those things. Um, and... Um, if I'm, you know, um, I used to be, I have what we call in the business, really good hands. Like, um, I, I have really, um, I'm proficient at using my hands to do procedures and I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just, it just is, um, like that. And I've been very blessed and lucky to have that. So I used to love 
um, putting in Swangans catheters for open heart surgery. Um, that's a, mul- a, a very large multi-lumen catheter that um, you um, place on the side of someone's neck going down into a big blood vessel and it literally drops down into their heart and measures heart pressures. Um, in addition, um, I used to love starting um, what's called an A-line or an arterial line, which is where you put a catheter in someone's wrist into the artery so that you will be able to measure their blood pressure beat by beat and draw blood specimens uh, quickly and, and uh, uh, efficiently. Um, and then I used to, do, again, um, the regional anesthesia, being able to um, anesthetize parts of the body. That was, that's like the coolest challenge for me. I used to love doing that stuff, but all that stuff is all only hospital-based practice. And unfortunately, you know, for like the last um, 10, 11 years, I haven't really uh, done very much of that at all. Interesting. I did not think you'd say it would be one that you no longer do. So that was, that's interesting. But I guess. If yeah, I, I, I kind of miss it. I'm well, not kind of, I do. I, you probably hear it in my voice um, because I'm smiling as I'm thinking back on, on, you know, the day when I was in the big hospital and I used to work at, at you know, um, a trauma hospital uh, in Fort Lauderdale and um, it was a level one trauma hospital. And in fact, um, I was one of the first five anesthetists that started this trauma anesthesia program. And um, I, there was, for me back then, there was nothing like being on call in my call room and at three o'clock in the morning, the beeper going off, you know, and it tells you that there's a, a big trauma alert coming in. So you'd have to run literally, you know, like get yourself together in, in two seconds, run, you know, four buildings over down to the trauma uh, bay and await for this patient to come. And, and it was just the biggest rush, you know, now at this point in my career, I wouldn't want to do that, of course, but um, uh, that, that, that kind of stuff was the, the, the big thing for me back then. And I no longer do it. Interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Huh. Well, uh, Barry, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and telling us about uh, you know, your past, what you're currently doing, and uh, a few other things as well. So we really appreciate it. And, you know, um, do, do you have anything else you want to tell the audience before we, I mean, I will, uh, like I said, include your social tags in the show notes so that they can follow you and check out your page and everything, uh, which sure, I suggest sure. everyone do. But anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? Um, yeah, I guess a couple of things. Um, uh, one would be if you're thinking about anesthesia as a career, um, I can say nothing bad ab- at all about my anesthesia experience over the last 20 years. Um, it is challenging. It's um, financially rewarding. It is. Um, it makes you feel good about yourself most of the time. Um, not to say that there's no negative things to say, but all in all, the positive things weigh, um, outweigh the negative things. And I would encourage any person that is thinking about it to, to go there, do that and, and, and make it happen for yourself. 
because uh, it's just, it's really good profession um, with really good benefits and, and that sort of stuff. And the other thing I wanted to say is um, it sounds like a plug, but if you do check out my social media presence, um, contact me, you know, via uh, uh, direct message or however you choose. Uh, if you have any questions about anesthesia, I answer them uh, quickly and I just love to be engaged with the followers and, and help people out as much as I can. That's it. That's great, Barry. Thank you. We appreciate that. Um, and, you know, let me know if you want to word that in the show notes in any way like that. I'm happy to put that in there. Uh, sure. Next to your social tag so we can talk about that and okay. get that done. But um, yeah, hopefully we can have you on again in the future, um, maybe in the next couple months or next year or something, kind of see what's changed for you and where you see anesthesia heading. We can go from there. Awesome. You got it. Um, I, th- there's a very hot topic out there that I'd love to, to discuss. It's um, uh, opioid free anesthesia, which um, is coming to the forefront right now. And it's a whole huge change in the mindset and physiology of, of anesthesia. And uh, that would be a great topic uh, to talk about. Maybe we'll have to get you on sooner then. Maybe we'll plan another episode in like uh, Ab- the next absolutely. month or something. Okay. Let's absolutely. do that then. I want to talk about that. Okay. And, uh, we'll, we'll dive into that. That sounds like we can have a full episode just off of that. Oh, for sure. For sure. Great. Okay. Well, um, All right. well let's it was that. nice talking with you, Jared. Great talking with you, Barry. Uh, have a great day. All right. You too, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you to everyone who tuned in for another episode of Slice of Healthcare. Please be sure to follow us on our social channels. On pretty much every social channel, it's at Slice of Healthcare. On Twitter, it's at Slice of HC. We don't use that much, but we will answer if anyone tweets at us or sends us a message there. Also, for those of you that are listening on iTunes, please be sure to head over to iTunes. Leave us a rating slash review. We'd really appreciate the support and feedback. And if you're interested in being a a guest on the podcast, please reach out at uh, sliceofhealthcare at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram or any of our other channels, and we'll get right back to you. Thanks, and everyone have a great day. The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android.